You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, America. This is Pete Mecca, your host for a veteran story on AmericasWebRadio.com. I am so honored to have as my guest today, again, Afghanistan veteran Hugh Lam and Kim DeFore, and Iraq veteran Jennifer Hawk. These wonderful young people, these young warriors of our recent wars, will relate their service and their response to the evacuation of Afghanistan. Missing one. You, Kim, and Jennifer, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Okay. All right, very good. All right, uh, Hugh, let's start with you. Uh, this is just for give us your branch of service, why you selected your branch of service, and your dates of service in Afghanistan. Sure. Uh, I was in the U.S. Army's Military Intelligence Corps as an officer, and I deployed to Afghanistan in the spring of 2012 and served from April 2012 to January 2013. Uh, I chose the military intelligence corps because I believe it allowed me to work really closely with war fighters while still being able to uh, look at situations in a much broader scope um, outside of just being deep into the tactical fighting. Okay. Very good. And uh, tell me a little bit about your parents. Yeah, my parents are, um, are, you know, they met in the United States, but they were both refugees from Vietnam. Uh, they came to the U.S. in 1975, four years after the fall of Saigon. But being raised by them, uh, memories of the Vietnam War and stories of the Vietnam War were uh, basically a big part of my upbringing. And so... Uh, I was taught about how much the U.S. sacrificed for South Vietnam. I was taught about how the war ended. Um, and basically, I was taught that freedom can be lost when you stop fighting for it or when, or, you know, when the bad guys are allowed to win, you know, and, uh, that really resonated with me. So when I saw the wars in Afghanistan, Iraq begin and continue, I didn't want those countries to suffer the same fate that my parents' country suffered as well. I didn't want Iraqis to lose their country. I didn't want uh, Afghans to lose their country. So I joined to to help fight for them. All right. That's super, super huge. Uh, Kim, uh, give us your branch of service, why you selected your branch of service, and your dates of service in Afghanistan. Yeah, uh, I was in the Army from 2008 to 2017. Um, I commissioned from West Point and uh, went to military police because uh, back then combat arms wasn't open to females. So uh, a lot of people said military police are doing a lot of forward operations and um, just making the difference I wanted to make um, as far as fighting for freedom and uh, building Afghanistan and Iraq into self-sufficient countries. Uh, I was in Afghanistan from 2010 to 2011. Okay, West Point, is that a college? No, I just <laughs> a little <laughs> college in New York. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, congratulations. Uh, Jennifer, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, there she is. 
uh, I love your hairstyle this morning, Jennifer. <laughs> well, thank you. I made it to the gym. Call <laughs> uh, me out. But, <laughs> all right, Jennifer, you served in Iraq, but I want you to give us your uh, branch of service, why you selected your branch of service, and your base of service in Iraq. Oh, well, that is multi-step questions based on the individuals that already went. I'm going to go ahead and try this. Okay, so branch of service would be the Army National Guard. I chose that branch of service because um, I was looking at wanting to um Join and I admired that from my family, different people who had done it, didn't come from a military family like to where we moved around or anything, but I was already interested and then once I found out that I would be able to go ahead and initiate that in high school, do my basic training during the summer and AIT during the next summer, then um, I thought that that would be a good choice for me. I chose to be an 88 Mike truck driver. Was that one of the questions? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, okay. I joined uh, February 2001 and did nine years till about February 2010. Um, I served in Iraq right between, like right by Bab- Abu Ghraib, about 1,500 meters from, did I say Abu Ghraib? I served right... In Baghdad, we were about 1,500 meters from Abu Ghraib, and we were there from February, we got to Kuwait in February 2004, um, arrived in Iraq the day before St. Patrick's Day in March, and we were there for a year. All right, very good. Okay, Hugh, describe your duties where you were stationed and some of your experiences in Afghanistan. Sure. Uh, I, was st- I was the assistant intelligence officer, uh, often known as the AS2, for 4th Battalion, 23rd Infantry Regiment. They were one of the battalions of the 2nd Brigade Strike Combat Team, um, 2nd Infantry Division out of Fort Lewis. Uh, so as the assistant intelligence officer for this um, infantry battalion, uh, my duty was to understand the enemy's perspective, the enemy situation on the battlefield. And we deployed to Kandahar uh, province, Afghanistan, in the spring of 2012, like I said earlier. Okay. What was your first impression of Afghanistan? Uh, my first impression was the uh, was really taking in the terrain. Uh, lots of wide open spaces with um, with uh, dense villages, kind of sparsely distributed throughout. It was very different than uh, the, than the terrain that you see in some other films of Afghanistan. A lot of films, a lot of stories, focus on other parts of Afghanistan that are mountainous, um, that are you know much more lush uh, with lots of elevation changes. Uh, and Kandahar wasn't like that. Kandahar's terrain is very much more like Arizona. That's the kind of climate and the terrain that we, we saw. But um, the the first impression was that I realized that we were stepping into a kinetic situation really, really quickly. We were going to be deployed to the Taliban front doorstep. The Taliban have a rich history in Kandahar, and um, we were deploying right at the beginning of the fighting season. So there was a lot of anticipation. And we were, at the time, we were tasked to support a 
brigade out of the 82nd Airborne, uh, you know, 82nd Airborne. So we, so, you know, they let us know that they had been in fight and that we had a fight ahead of us. Okay. Uh, wow. Kim, uh, your first impressions from Afghanistan and your duties, where were you stationed and some of your experiences? Yeah, I was on the eastern side of Afghanistan in Pakdia province in Gardez. Um, it was, I was the executive officer of a military police company, so I was the second in charge of our military police company in charge of all the logistics. So we had 11 different Afghan uniformed police stations around our province that we would have squads living with them, like integrating. That, that was the step of the war and trying to mentor them day and night and take them on operations. Um, and then at, and so we'd build up the Afghan police station. So if they're attacked by the Taliban or anyone else, they can, uh, fight back. And then we'd also build up our own, um, different, uh, outposts and places we were just to make sure we could withstand any indirect fire, direct fire. Um, and then at night I would do joint raids with special operations because we're the battle space hunters of Gardez or the town of Gardez and they, they had a lot of pirate Taliban there, so uh, jump on helicopters with uh, special forces, uh, Navy SEALs, or whatever special ops teams would come, and we'd do joint raids, and I would just, as a land space owner, understand what was going on so we could put out messages the next day. Uh, we'd capture whoever we needed to. They'd drop me back up Gardez, and they'd go on to their um, to their base afterwards. Um, and uh, the first impression was, I mean, there's a lot of harsh terrain. We're at 7,000 feet at Gardez, so um, it's very high elevation. The air quality is very poor, so just trying to do operations, you have to be in phenomenal shape, and you have to be able to take a toll on your lungs because, um, the like, what's in the air out there, they don't have plumbing, they don't have electricity, so um, it's just really harsh on your lungs. And then just trying to understand a country that didn't really want us there like it wasn't very inviting um you could tell the afghans they just they were happy with where they were they didn't really they appreciated us there because we had money and so they could make a lot of money off of us but outside of that it was just like they i i got a very good feeling that as soon as we left during the day the taliban would come at night and they would do anything to protect their families and i don't blame them at all because if someone came in at night and said I'm going to slaughter your family, even though I don't have kids. I have dogs and a, um, and, a, and a spouse. But, like, if someone came in at night and told me that, I fully understand that I would side with them and just do whatever I have to do to protect my family. So that was my first impression of Afghanistan, that it was just kind of, like, no matter how much effort we put into it, um, it was going to stay that way. Wow. Great, great comment. Uh, we got about two minutes for our first break, but I want to try to get uh, 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 Jennifer in here. Jennifer, what was your first impression of Iraq? Uh, my first impression would be that it was also back to what Hugh said. Um, it was I was looking at the terrain and how flat it was, and how thank goodness we were no longer in Kuwait, where the sinking sand was a workout <laughs> in itself just to get to Chow. Um, very flat and. Um, as we rolled into our base, I could just tell that it was very small, like a quarter of a mile long, and um, just 
didn't look like there was much going on was unlike any base I've ever seen in my life. And, um, like I said, we were truck drivers uh, in a transportation company, and our main mission was to run the mail to all of the different bases where soldiers were. And so we were, well, we didn't run the mail. We were the force protection uh, set up within the convoys where the civilian drivers had semi-trailers carrying all the mail. And so we went from Baghdad and Balad and Babylon, just all around Iraq, delivering that mail. And a couple other missions we did do, um, transporting some troops, that was very rare. Um, towards the end, we did start helping with more runs, which that would definitely be um, some of my least favorite. And, um, yeah, I definitely it was not, as far as knowing whether we were invited or not, that was kind of split. As you're driving, when you have to slow down in busy areas, you have kids waving excited they want you to throw them food but then you have other people that you clearly aren't invited and so when you get into congested areas and and need to get out of there you definitely didn't stick around to see whether people were waving or flipping you off so you just had to push on through and even if a car got in front of you your main mission was to get out of that traffic because that's dangerous wow okay uh, we're going to have to stop for our first break. We'll be right back with these wonderful warriors from Afghanistan and Iraq. Stand by, everybody. Want to make an even bigger difference? Consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Your Honor. Okay. All right, we are back with two uh, young veterans from Afghanistan and one from Iraq. Uh, Hugh, you told us about your impression of uh, Afghanistan when you first got there and your duties. What were your thoughts upon leaving Afghanistan? Well, when I personally left in January uh, 2013, I didn't want to leave. Um, I had grown very attached to the mission. And I felt like there was still much to do. Uh, this was, this was a, an important turning point. The U.S. Army was changing its strategy. Uh, we were turning away from taking territory away from the enemy and transitioning to training, focus, to focusing on training the uh, Afghan National Army. And I wanted to be there for that mission. And unfortunately, I wasn't. And um, I felt a lot of guilt leaving Afghanistan. And... Now I feel a lot of guilt looking at the news and looking at how we've uh, withdrawn from Afghanistan today. Well, okay. Kim, how did you feel? What were your thoughts on leaving Afghanistan? Uh, 
I wanted to leave, but I didn't want to leave. Um, I wanted to leave just because I wanted to go back to family and um, friends and just have the American way of life again. Um, but at the same time, I was attached to the mission. I enjoyed um, capturing bad guys and uh, <laughs> getting rid of the Taliban on the field. Uh, mentoring the Afghan police, um, it, it wasn't going great, I'll say that. Um, they just... Uh, they would play a game with us where they'd pretend like they didn't ever get training before and having them reliably show up like every day. So like, I, I don't, I don't know how many times you, the Afghans were taught how to handcuff, but it had to be at least 50. And like, as you see the new unit walking, walking in, they know to play these like dumb games so they don't have to do as much. Um, and it was just like, they would play like, substitute teacher like what would y'all go over yesterday oh we didn't go over anything oh we have never done this and they're going to do the same thing with the next unit um so there was a lot of like loss over that but at the same time i had to detach from it because it was just like that's how this war is going to go and in another 12 months some other unit and sure enough they shortened it to nine months so they just the turnover of those of that was just like hey, they played us when we got there, they're going to play the next unit, and then they're just going to keep going until we leave, and then they can do whatever they want with their country. So it was a mix of, like, I want to stay because I want the continuity, and I really enjoyed, like, taking care of bad guys. Um, but at the same time, I was like, I want to go home and enjoy our American way of life. Wow. So every year they have to learn how to put the handcuffs on again, huh? Yeah, it's it's just annoying because they're just playing the system. The contractors are sucking money up from from us. Like we buy like another hundred sandbags from them or whatever else. So they're just they're taking advantage of resources that we had. Um, they just have no concept of like pride in their country. They're very tribal, um, and that's how they grew up. So um, I mean, it's hard to understand from a Western point of view. But over the last ten years, I've really been able to step outside of that role and just been able to say like if i started day one in afghanistan and that's where i was born like where would my mindset be and the concept of fighting for afghanistan probably would never enter my mind if i was on the pakistan border wow that is very very interesting uh okay jennifer what were your thoughts upon leaving iraq well, first of all, I want to say it's very interesting talking to other perspectives. Like, I really enjoy talking to other veterans because we all have this different story and different ways that things went down. Uh, for myself, I will say that during the entire year, especially after initially getting there, I don't know about for you guys, but home becomes a foreign concept. Like, like you're never going to be returning there. Like, this is life. This is how it is. To even sit there and spend your time thinking about going back, it just doesn't, it, you just get away from that and detached. And so um, once the talk of what month we might be going home, then that sparks that excitement. And then you start like, oh, my gosh, thank goodness. And like like I said, you know, we were on that base that was 1,500 meters from Abu Ghraib. So we took over 200 mortar rounds alone coming into our base and then, you know, uh, the stuff that happened on the road. But so to get off that base, 
yeah, you, you're like, yes, finally home. And you're not even, you kind of are thinking about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, like finally get back to real life. But really, you have no idea that here's the thing I'm most grateful for. And this sometimes makes people chuckle. <laughs> but one of the greatest things to return home to would be to shower without shower shoes. <laughs> that was, oh, and then the the wind blowing in the curtain and it would touch you. That's disgusting. But I will say, even though as much as I was so excited that we were finally leaving, the minute it all just brings so many emotions and then it all hits you like a ton of bricks upon your return to home and then and then you're just like, now what? Like, And you really, for me, I really missed, I missed what I had. I missed that bond with everyone. I, even though our days were, you know, like we ran the same missions and yeah, at least it, and it was pretty eventful, but it, you just grow this insane bond with them. And, um, and then suddenly I found myself missing that and feeling like I, I was just detached from life. Well, after two and a half years in Vietnam, I can relate with you guys. Um, I felt much the same way. Uh, thank God you weren't treated the same way when you came back. But mm. uh, I, I have so much respect for you young people as you come back from these wars against terror. Uh, Jen- uh, Jennifer, you wrote a book, didn't you? I did. I wrote a book 16 years ago when I returned. I was kind of writing more just as a coping mechanism because I really like to write. And um, last uh, about a year and a half ago, I had just some significant uh, life-altering. Uh, I fainted and cracked my skull, and um, in the recovery of that head injury, just, just as I was trying to get it together, they told us we were all getting right when I was about to go back to school to be a, a teacher and finally see my students. Um, they told us we were quarantined. So then I was recovering from a head injury and quarantine, found myself in a dark place, to get back to writing and I finished that book over this past year and it just published July 1st and then I resigned I resigned from teaching after 12 years because I really just want to do more with veterans and the families of veterans you know like I want to do what my passion and heart's been calling me to do for years but I just kept sticking with that plan you know the plan of I went to college I got these all these degrees, like, you got to stick with the plan when really I just, I really wanted to see what I could do to help veterans more. And my husband was, um, so it's a dual memoir. And so some of the chapter, I met my husband on the deployment. Some of the chapters are told from his perspective and some from mine. And uh, he was hit by a roadside bomb where the truck flipped and landed on his face and crushed his entire upper jaw and knocked all his teeth out. So not only, so upon the return, as I started to feel like I didn't know if teaching was for me and I wanted to help veterans more, I would get just even more fired up seeing what he was going through on med hold. And I thought, and I just kept thinking to myself, and I still do, anytime I see these soldiers uh, going through different stuff or the loss of soldiers, I keep thinking to myself, that's just one person, you know, my husband and all these silly hoops he's had to jump through and 
the lack of care and all this. He's just one soldier out of thousands, and and I want to make I want to make a difference as much as I can there. So. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Uh, you keep up the good work there, Jennifer. Okay. Now the entire world witnesses the, the debacle in Afghanistan, and the entire world has had their say. But right now it is your turn to speak. It is your turn to tell the truth as you see it. It is your turn to give us your thoughts and feelings about the pullout in Afghanistan. You, you're first. Well, first I have to voice my just profound admiration for you know everyone in the uh, who has served in the United States Armed Forces over the last 20 years and everyone who served on that mission. It was a hard mission they had to do. They had to uh, do this massive non-combatant evacuation, uh, basically in enemy territory. You know, they're operating on an airfield on the enemy's terms because the outer security cordon was managed by Taliban. That was who was managing their security. And um, that's, an, that's an extremely difficult situation. And uh, my hat's off to all the pilots, all the people on the ground who, uh, who did security, who manned those checkpoints. Um, and I just feel tremendous sorrow for the families of those that we lost. Uh, but looking forward, I hope we don't completely abandon the Afghanistan mission. There are still people there who helped us over the last 20 years who still need our help. There are people there that, who have thrown in, uh, that the threw in their hat with us. And we need to get them out if they want to get out. You know, we owe them that. Okay. Do you think the evacuation could be planned better? I think yes. I think tactically there could have been a better situation. If we look at history, uh, one example that stands out are the evacuations out of Saigon uh, back in 1975. If you look at uh, April, that uh, in the month that led up to the fall of Saigon, U.S. military officers were unofficially evacuating people from Saigon into neighboring countries. Uh, they had the benefit that, at the time, the South Vietnamese Army was still fighting against, you know, commun- the the, uh, the invasion from the north, uh, fighting against the North Vietnamese Army. Um, so they had, you know, so at the time, Saigon hadn't fallen, the Republic of Vietnam hadn't fallen, and so that allowed, that bought them, that bought our people to the embassy in Saigon time to evacuate the people that had worked for them, um, evacuate people that they had forged emotional, personal ties with. And we could, and that story should have been a template. That story should have been a template for how to do missions in the future for and that should have been how we would have done things. That's how we should have done things in Afghanistan. We should have been evacuating people out of Bagram. We should have been evacuating people out of Kandahar and out of Kabul uh, before, you know, before the Afghan government ever fell. Wow. Uh, I, I know you guys have mixed feelings about this. I, I know that I do. Uh, I remember the time that I was in my living room watching the North Vietnamese tanks break down the gates to the presidential palace. And uh, what I thought after spending two and a half years over there, uh, 
losing my friends, losing my buddies. Okay, we have to go to our second break. We'll be right back with some more comments from these young people about their feelings about Afghanistan. Stay with us. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right, folks, we're back. Kim DeFore, is that Italian? Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Well, me too. <laughs> All right, Kim, uh, let's, let's have your thoughts about the uh, pullout from Afghanistan, what you thought about it. Go ahead. Floor is yours. Um. I would say it was a cluster. Uh, any military veteran can fill in the second word, but um, it was a cluster, and sure enough, um, I don't think we could have ever predicted that Afghanistan would fall that fast, but after 2010, I could have predicted it would fall that fast. Um, but there's a lot better ways of doing it. Um, anyone with a brain, a head on their shoulders, could see that there was a lot better ways um, if we're going to do a mass evacuation, um, there's, there's, uh, we've done it before and it hasn't been that, um, hostile and that compact, but I don't, I have a lot of mixed feelings. It's probably not going to be a popular opinion, but taking every Afghan that worked with the U S and taking them out of Afghanistan, um, like I understand the alternative that they're going to be brutally killed by the Taliban. I understand that, but there's a lot of mixed feelings of like everybody that worked with us, we're going to take out of Afghanistan and we're going to leave a population that is ideal for Taliban control. So there's a lot of mixed feelings with that because we're setting up the Taliban to be extremely successful in Afghanistan. And, um, yeah, it, it, I, I don't know. I always like thought maybe like, We'd be able to like go visit as tourists one day, but I think that day's 
come and gone and uh maybe when i'm like 80 or something i'll be able to do it but it's just hard to watch it fall and uh like after being there for about a month and realizing the corruption like i knew like all the loss we took it was to fight for each other it wasn't to fight for the freedom of afghanistan um so like there are still days like what is it for but at the same time it's like I know it was for the people I was fighting for. It was never to free a country that didn't want freedom. Wow. Do you think that we should have uh, kept Bagram? I, like, I don't have all the intel, but, like, the little bit I know, like, studying war and doing in my time in the Army, I think we should have kept Bagram um, because it's larger it's not as small as Kabul, um, and it's easier to secure. Like, we had security around there. And, like, Bagram is enormous uh, for people that haven't been there. Um, and we flew in and out of Bagram when we deployed and redeployed. And just the ability to spread troops out so you, if there is a suicide bomber, they don't have the effect that they did the other day. Um, it, it makes more sense to me, um, but I'm... I'm not in the Pentagon, so I don't know what intel they were given or, like, why that decision was made. Um, but I have to echo, echo what you said because it's just, like, the people that were lost, like, their families, I know they're going through a lot of grief, and my heart goes out to them because just watching the over uh, transfer, dignified transfer of remains, and then, like, um, like, I know every... Everybody that was deployed to Kabul did it, their their mission and then 10 times more. So I really appreciate what they did. But it wasn't them. It was so much higher up. And, like, the fault goes so much higher up. And we don't blame a single person that had boots on the ground during that evacuation process. No, I agree with you 100%. The boots on the ground just did their job. They were doing what they were trained to do, and they did it honorably. Um, Jennifer, a uh, different point of view. I know you served in Iraq, but as you saw the pullout from Afghanistan, what were your thoughts? Well, I would also <clears throat> agree with the cluster. Um, I think uh, one of the things that I have a lot of feelings about it, and that's and I knew that that you would ask me this on this call, and it's still, I'm sure, uh, for both Kim and Hugh, it's it's so hard to put into words and and make it clear because there's so many things that go through your mind. Um, earlier, um, I failed to mention that that the book I wrote is called Calmed Growth After Trauma. And here's what bothers me, like thinking about that title. We've had 20 years of trauma, not to mention all the trauma from other wars and what we've seen that has happened or not has happened for our veterans. And so to see the example that we're setting for these young generations, watching how we just did this complete pullout, I just feel like there's no growth in, in that and in showing the example that we're setting for other countries and the example that we're setting for our American people. And speaking of our American people, and then this is where... Um, my opinions may be unpopular and people may disagree, but please understand that I'm going to try and verbalize what I feel in a short couple of sentences. But when it comes to, you know, 
these fallen soldiers that have all just lost their life in this huge attack, terribly tragic, terribly sad. And I think it's very awesome and admirable, all these different restaurants and that are setting, you know, a table in their remembrance. But someone had messaged me yesterday and said, you know, to, asking me my opinion, she wasn't a veteran, and she just said, you know, in your opinion, um, what do you feel about everybody making a big deal about the fact that these kids were so young? And I thought, first of all, my comments have nothing to do with them being young. It has something to do with 20 years. 20 years, there's soldiers dying over there every day. And now just suddenly because there's this big uh, cluster, I keep, I gotta watch my words. There's this big cluster that happened. Now suddenly everyone's so engaged and everybody wants to give their opinions and suddenly they have this like huge uh, perspective on it when really they didn't have much to say over the last 20 years it's just when these big things happen yeah Hugh were you about to say something you go first I, I was wanting you I was, I was just thinking that I was going to say after you're done so I, so I had said to my friend you know like in addition to these all these soldiers that have been lost over 20 years and all the wars prior, um, let's remember that too. Let's not just focus on this one table that we're setting, but who's setting the table for all these families overseas in, in Afghanistan who are losing their families? Like, we need to remember how lucky we are to be an American, even if we don't agree with certain things, because nobody in our country is grabbing onto a C-130 and making the choice to rather fall 500 feet from the sky rather than stay there. Like, that speaks profound words. And so as people, you know, continue to want to speak on these things, just keep in mind that this was just, this is, it, this was terrible. This is terrible. This is tragic. But like, if we if we're going to get invested, yes, let's let's look at the example we're setting for our country. Let's be there more for our veterans and for the people who committed to working with us and trying to train them so that they could be, you know, just more self sufficient or have their own army over there. Like, lots of people have worked there toward that mission, and we need to remember all of them. Good words, Jennifer. Hugh, you had a comment? Uh, yes, I, I just kind of want to build on this theme of sacrifice. You know, over 20 years, you know, American soldiers have sacrificed and we've lost. But I just want to remind the audience that the Afghans have also lost, the Afghan National Army. During the course of the last 20 years, 70,000 Afghan soldiers have died, and I find it really hard to believe that 70,000 of these soldiers have died in, uh, without a sense of nationalism. I'm pretty sure that out of the 70,000, a good portion of them believe in the idea of democracy, this experience this, that we wanted to give them, that we wanted to help them with. You know, they died for a vision of Afghanistan that wasn't ta just Tajik, Pashtun, or Hazara, but Afghan. Um, and uh, I hope that eventually they find venues to be able to speak out and talk about their experiences as well. I want to know what, you know, what the war was like from their perspective. And I think that's how we can learn. If 
Our failure in Afghanistan was not being able to create a military that was able to sustain itself, a partner military that was able to sustain itself. I would like to know why. Do you think that the outcome would have been different had we uh, retained our air cover for the Afghan army? They didn't have air cover when we sold out. In a military aspect, that would have helped. But I think what we needed in Afghanistan, generally over the last, the last 10 years even, not even the full 20 years, but we needed a, just a much more robust um, nation-building uh, policy towards them. And a lot of people say nation-building isn't what America does. That's not true. Look at what we've done for Japan and for Germany after World War II. We had the Marshall Plan in which we not only developed militaries, but we also developed uh, infrastructure, the economy. We brought in um, the whole world to also invest in these countries, too. Um, and, you know, all this is hindsight, you know, 20, you know, there's that expression, hindsight is twenty twenty. but I think that should have been what our, uh, our approach should have been. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I was in very, very farm town Afghanistan. Um, I wasn't near Kabul. I wasn't near Bagram. Um, it was very much like mud huts, no electricity, no running water. And just knowing my perspective from them, um, I don't agree with you, but I mean, we, we, I mean, we don't know the Afghan perspective. Like I don't, I haven't spoken to Afghans from Gardez and, like, asked them, like, did you believe in a free Afghanistan? Um, I can tell you from my experience with them that 100%, like, they did not believe in it. Um, they just wanted to do what was best for their family, and I don't fault them for it at all. Um, and I'm just talking about rural Afghanistan, which is a majority of the country. They have a few big cities that maybe they have um, some women's schools that don't get brutally burned down or whatever, but... Um, for where where I was on the Pakistan border, like I had a much different perspective, um, and some of my veteran friends have the same perspective that um, I don't even know. Like after we left Gardez, because once we left Gardez, the Taliban took it over. I don't even know if the farmer knew. Like that's just how the the communication works. There is like they're just like oh the Americans were here, the Russians were here. Oh now the Taliban's back. Like I don't even know if it really phases them, other than like all right, what do I have to do to keep my family alive? Um, like all right, I'm gonna still farm. I'm still gonna get my food here and everything. Um, so I, I'm sure some Afghans believe in country, um, but I, 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 in my opinion, I don't think a majority of them did just because of their upbringing. Um, and I think we have to respect like the way they're thought and like. If I was brought up to be a Catholic and, like, some, like, Muslim person comes to me, then, um, like, I can't, like, really expect to change my viewpoint that fast. Okay. Afghanistan, the destroyer of nations, the destroyer of empires. I don't really know if anyone's ever taken over that country, to tell you the truth, uh, after the battles are over with. Uh we're going to our last break, and then we'll be back with these wonderful people. Please stay with us. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. 
As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right, folks, we're, we're back with these three wonderful people. Jennifer, you've heard uh, Hugh and Kim make their comments on the Afghan uh, tribal situation, also the Afghan population. Can you relate that to the Iraqi people? I, I'm Honestly, as a truck driver, we did not have many interactions with the Iraqi people unless it was the ones that came onto our base that were doing different jobs. Um, so every once in a while you'd have TCN duty where you would escort them around and they would either be uh, changing some electricity outside our base or which I may not even have that right. I just remember them having to do things out there, but like changing the water in the porta potty, picking up. Uh, there's like a couple people that worked at like a shop, you know, and sold some of their stuff there. But other than oh, and then um, we did have an informant that worked on the base. Uh, I had. I didn't have many interactions with him. Um, okay. I know a lot of people in my unit did, and the feelings there are totally split. Some people feel like he was a great man that uh, really did want good for his country, and other people heard r rumors that I don't even know if they were confirmed that um, he was in a vehicle that shot like a toward our troops and so um, I unfortunately do not have the only interaction I would say that I had with um, two Iraqi children that I did enjoy was at Babylon at the base at Babylon they had almost what I would describe as like a vendor fair you know but they're just set up with whatever food or whatever they're selling and um these little kids were just playing around and asking me questions, pointing at all my moles and asking me if um, I was, like, an Egyptian or something. <laughs> and uh, so I, I enjoyed my interaction with them, but I, I didn't have many. I understand. I understand. I know that in Vietnam, uh, especially out in the field, 
smaller villages, uh, uh, you had to be very careful if a, a young kid brought a Coke can to you because a Coke can may explode. Uh, all right, uh, Hugh, would you do it again? Absolutely. Um, I've always, you know, yeah, I would. I learned so much uh, about myself in the experience. I learned a lot about the world. And honestly, I I learned a lot about what it meant to love your fellow man out there. Um, I remember just kind of walking through this Afghan village, and the children are beside us, and they look so happy. And at that moment, I really learned what it but what it meant to just love people, you know, because I wanted it just happiness for them. I wanted them to just live in peace for as long as they could. That's well said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would you do it again? I don't regret any of my service. Um, I did face quite a bit of trauma, which resulted in PTSD and some traumatic brain injuries, but I wouldn't undo anything. Um, I met Afghan people, and the way I grew up, like, it wasn't positive towards the Muslim faith, but um, I had a lot of positive interaction with Afghan people. They're very inviting, nice people, Um, and it's really transformed my worldview of people are just trying to do what they can to survive and do a little good in the world. And so it's really transformed the way I look at any type of population or approach someone if they're having a bad day or like they're rude to me, like I just can understand them a little better. So it's making, it's made me more of a human. And even though it fell, um, like I've, I've found a lot of comfort with the Vietnam vets because they really have been reaching out to us and just making sure like, Hey, it wasn't for nothing. Like our wall, no one walks by and says it wasn't for anything. Um, and just giving us that purpose and direction and saying like, Hey, it might hurt now, but we need to find out how we can help y'all live for tomorrow. And, um, I really appreciate all the Vietnam uh, veterans out there that have not only paved the way to make sure we separate the war from the warrior, but also finding purpose, um, during this chaotic time for our veterans. Very well put. Thank you so much for those comments. Um, would you do it again there, uh, Jennifer? 100%. I would do it again. If you would have asked me during that year in Iraq, I probably would not have said that. I, you know, was young, and I totally felt like, you know, almost like a puppet, you know, like you don't have any control of what's coming down from the top. Um, but now it's 16 years later, and I have also grown a lot, learned a lot about myself, and um, one of the greatest things that I take away from it is that deep connections that you have with those people you served amongst or even people you didn't serve amongst when you meet other veterans and you just, you have that connection. Um, I I find that is the most fulfilling thing for me and, and it also, in the end, ends up increasing my spirituality and just like my hope for possibilities for the future and so I sure would very well put from all three of you uh, Hugh do you miss the military uh, uh, 
that's a hard question, especially right now. Um, I'm, I'm just there's there's so much going on with with military leadership right now. But um, yeah, I will always I will always cherish the brotherhood of the military. I will always, you know, feel tremendous respect for anyone that takes those hard that you know that, that is a part of the military. Because it's a hard thing to do. You're putting yourself into these moral dilemmas day in and day out. And what you do has a profound effect on history. And, yeah, I'll I'll miss being a a part of that. I will always miss being a part of an organization that makes a difference for the rest of the world. Very well put, sir. Kim, do you miss the military? I enjoyed my time in service. I've never missed it one day since I took that uniform off. Um, I don't miss waking up to just work out and um, making sure people get to their dental exams and things like that. <laughs> like, there's so much of the military that I don't miss. Um, and I've really found purpose and direction afterwards to help people find healing and uh, helping our first responders with PTSD. That I found a purpose and drive and give back that I wasn't that I was doing in the military and I found a way to do it in the civilian way and I and I never have to figure out if someone's current on their dental exam so I'm pretty happy with life right now. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like it. Very good. Uh, Jennifer, do you miss the military? I only miss something that I had with those people and then once I re-enlisted and stayed in, I realized it was no longer there and people started to leave. And so, no, I don't. I don't miss it. There's sometimes like early in the morning that that sun rises and that fresh air that blows in. You know, you think of those moments in time early in the morning, standing information that you early. And then I miss certain things, certain memories. But um, I'm just grateful for the memories. I don't miss it enough to want to miss it and think about missing it. <laughs> Very good. I, I I know that among my brothers and sisters from Vietnam, although we were heartbroken about the result, about 70% of us would do it again. And it's not to the love of war, but it's the love of the brothers and sisters that we served with. And we did have that unity, that team effort. And you don't find that too much in civilian life. It's totally different, as you know it. Do you want to ask you this? Would you recommend young people join the military? Absolutely. I believe um, there's personal benefits. You know, you become stronger than you ever thought you could be. But you have to look outside of those. And I, I recommend joining the military because it makes you feel a sense of duty and responsibility for the rest of your country. And... Um, and I hope, you know, our young people really, uh, understand that. I hope they, they develop a sense of civic duty. Pete, uh, Pete, I'd like uh, to, Pete, I'd like to throw my two cents worth in, if you don't mind. Sure, David, go ahead. Uh, you've had three outstanding guests on that, uh, I would like to invite Jennifer to, uh, Give me a call, and we'll see about publicizing her book on America's Web Radio. And also the fact that we're trying our best at America's Web Radio. We have your show, A Veteran's Story, 
And we have many other shows that we do that are aimed strictly at veterans. I'm a vet and I have, well, I was in the guard and then in the army reserve. So, and they call me a, uh, Vietnam veteran era. And that's spelled E-R-R-O-R, not E-R-A. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, you all have been fantastic today and I'd like to, uh, keep in touch and remind everybody that we have a number of other veteran shows on and we work very closely with Rocky Blyer. You heard the commercial about Warriors to Citizens. And we also, I want to make it clear quickly that we also have a doctor, uh, that was a medic in Vietnam and he's a practicing dentist and MD. And he's got, if you're suffering from PTSD and can't sleep at night, it's not a cure, but it'll get you sleep. And uh, we'll be glad if anybody wants to email us or find out about uh, the doctor that I'm talking about. He'd be glad to. He's in Georgia, and he'd be glad to respond to your request. And uh, it's all FDA approved. It's Everything's good. He's had some problems with uh, the VA. Oh, and that's the last thing I want to mention. Anyone that's listening, and the three of you all know how important your 201 files are and your DD-214, but this is a travesty that since March the 29th, the National Archives, the Personnel Administration, has been shut down. And if you're a veteran and you need to get your records you can't. They have been shut down since March the 29th of 2020, and it's killing veterans, literally. When they need their medical records and can't get them, please contact your representatives and senators and let them know how important these records are. So with that, back to you, Pete. All right. Uh Real quick there, uh, Kim, would you uh, recommend young people join the military? Yeah, I definitely say join the military. Get out of your get out of your hometown. Go find something bigger yourself. Learn to be on a team, and uh, yeah, just find something bigger than yourself. And the military teaches you so much and opens doors. Sounds good. We are, that's the end of the show, folks. We are out of time. I could talk to you guys for the next four hours. Okay, God bless you. You are a great example of what young people should be. Thank you for your service. Keep the faith, and I'll be in touch with all three of you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.